This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Croder, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. As the temperatures turn cooler and we've gotten some snow here in Minnesota, we decided to travel south and connect with some of our colleagues at the other Mayo Clinic campuses over these winter months. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Hermio, an Associate Professor of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and Director of the Histocompatibility Laboratory at Mayo Clinic, Arizona. As we head into this holiday season, we think it's really appropriate that we're putting focus on the ultimate gift, organ transplantation. Thanks for joining us today to discuss this very important topic, Dr. Hermio. Thanks, Justin, for the invitation. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So what's your origin story? How did you first get interested in the ultimate gift? How did you first get interested in supporting organ transplantation? In college, I always wanted to go to, to medical school, and then uh, I was quite interested in, in immunology. And I remember that the HLA class, it was fascinating. I thought it was the most fascinating class I ever had because the HLA system is, uh, is actually the most complex system that we have in the genetic systems of the human genome because it, it has right now 32,000 different variants. So I thought it was just amazing that. And for the immunology class, it was all the classes to transplantation, not really for, for the function of the HLA system. So anyway, it happens that in the 1980s, my brother was diagnosed with a kidney disease. I mean, we knew that his kidneys were, were going to eventually fail and his kidneys did. So he needed a kidney transplant in 2001. So actually, I was, believe it or not, quite excited to kind of have this opportunity to give my brother a kidney. So we are five siblings and it happens that I was the only one that was not completely genetically compatible. So my little sister gave him a kidney and I always thought, as you say, this was such a gift, a gift of love, but also the gift of science. I mean, this is a true miracle because we have this person that is close to me that 20 years ago, he got an organ from my sister and he lived a wonderful life. I mean, he's a retired lawyer now. That was, to me, was amazing. And I always, all these years, I felt that I kind of missed out in somehow in being part of that thing. So it's, it's a, of, the, of giving him my own kidney. So I always thought that it was just fascinating. That's my a very personal story. That, that, that yeah. Yeah. I love that. A very personal connection to this. And uh, also I love that it highlights the fact that this is really one of these places where the basic science research really informs the clinical practice in a very direct way. Correct. Yeah. And, and uh, so that actually that uh, geared me out actually of medical school. I was going to medical school and I switched to, to basic science to get my PhD because I really wanted to focus on the transplantation part of medicine, really. I mean, more direct involvement in the genetic analysis. And uh, I felt that I could help the patients more directly, even though it sounds kind of weird because I don't see them, but I feel that it could do a better job in the lab. We've got a very diverse audience on this podcast. We've got physicians, we've got uh, laboratory professionals, we've got students that listen to this. 
maybe could you kind of give us a flavor for what are the organs that we actually yeah. can transplant? The two types of donors, of course, the deceased donors, you can actually get a heart, of course, from a deceased donor. But from live donors, live donors can donate bone marrow. You can donate one of your kidneys, one full lung or part of your lung, part of the liver, of course, and a part of the pancreas and part of the intestines. You know, a healthy person can donate literally uh, six organs, you know, if we count bone marrow as an organ as well. Mm -hmm. So it is a, a long list of, uh, of organs and donors can live a healthy life after that. So I guess for people that are interested in potentially becoming a donor, giving this gift for a deceased donation, it seems like when we are at the Department of Motor Vehicle, we can register as a donor. Is that right? And then make our wishes known to our family? Correct. Yeah. That's the pretty much the best way of, of, of doing it. So you are actually uh, in the system. Otherwise, at the time of your eventual death by an accident, there may be some emotional issues when somebody asks in the hospital to the families, hey, you know, there is a possibility that your loved one can be uh, an organ donor. However, you are approaching the family probably the worst time of their lives. That is very tough for them to make a rational decision at that moment. So yeah, the best way is to, is to just have your wishes register in your license. I see. And then if people are interested in donating, let's say a kidney or something, for example, is that just reach out to their local hospital and let them know that they're interested in being a donor? Correct. Most life donors, there are about 6,000 life donations in the, in the United States every year. Last year, for example, occur from a family member to a family member. But many people just feel that they need to donate a, a, a kidney or obviously there are uh, many, many people that register as bone marrow donors. Mm. So, but yeah, you, if, if you feel that, that you want to donate, it's usually a kidney, of course, uh, because it's the less risky uh, organ to give. People just come to the hospital and say, I want to be a donor. I, I, I want to donate my kidney. I'm healthy. I want to give this, you know, have this gift to somebody that will need a kidney. Otherwise, uh, that person will, will continue to have a a pretty horrible life on dialysis, and, and dialysis is not a healthy way to live. So these people that do have a convention, they come in to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, so we'll put a couple links down there for those that are listening, helpful links to kind of get in touch. If you're more interested in more information, I'll put links to National Marrow Donor Program and that kind of uh, information. For more laboratory education, including a listing of conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. Dr. Hermio, how does your work in the histocompatibility laboratory, how does it support transplantation? HLA lab is actually, uh, even though we, are, uh, we do complex analysis, it's actually quite simple. We really literally do two things. We do an initial genetic analysis of the HLA system, the genetic sy system of 11 genes, 
and uh, used to have kind of an initial assessment of the genetic matching between uh, the recipient and the potential donors. And that's kind of a minor risk assessment. I mean, if you have, if you happen to have a, a good match with, with the kidney donor, that's great. If you don't, it's not a contraindication to transplantation, but your risk assessment of having a rejection uh, down the road is a little higher, just as, you know, very, very low. Then the most important thing is that we do an immunological analysis of your antibody profile, and that is really when the matching happens. Because if you have an antibody, uh, an antibody present against that donor, then you will have a rejection of that organ. So, so we make sure that if you have antibodies, we avoid those antibodies and to pick a donor for which that patient doesn't have any antibodies and guarantee that that organ is going to last several, several years. So that's literally what we do, you know. I see. And I imagine that it sounds like uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're probably not giving yourself enough credit as you talk about more than 32,000 genes, but it sounds like you're really interacting with a, a number of different physicians, nurses from different specialties. Could you kind of give our audience kind of a flavor of how does this work to do this kind of dance to match donor and recipient and have a successful transplant? For live donors, we, we do have time. I mean, they to type uh, the entire families and then we can actually pick and choose in a timely manner, the best donor for that patient based first on the antibody profiles. And, and then if your siblings are, are a full match, that's perfect, you know. For disease donors, we need to do this in a very, very fast way. So we actually type the donors in a, what we call a stat, you know, a, a, within three hours. And then a, by a computer a, a analysis, because it's, in, it's almost impossible to do it by hand, we do the antibody profile against the genetic uh, profile of the donor to try to find out what is the best. Uh, at this point, if it is a disease donor, we try to find out what's the best recipient for that donor and, and not the other way around. Mm. So uh, a recipient that doesn't have antibodies against that donor. So that's basically what we do. It's basically a genetic profile against antibody profile of the recipient. And we just try to find the best holes in the antibody profile of the recipient. Wow. You know, it, it strikes me too that as managing this and, and getting it right and, and getting it as best as possible, and there's all kinds of ethical challenges to navigate as well. I'm kind of curious, what's your thoughts for what's on the horizon for HLA and HISA compatibility yeah. uh, in the next couple of years, you think? There has been a, a very rapid development in the molecular assays that we do, and this is, has been happening in the last two, two, three years, that we are getting right now, slowly getting into all the all the HLA labs in the country and in the world, better molecular testing for the genetic analysis that we do of the donors. So that is happening right now, and also we are getting better high-resolution testing of the antibody pro pro profile as well. So. We can actually, I think, we are getting better and better in in having a better profile analysis 
of the genes that the donors have and of the antibodies that the patients have so we can actually have a better assessment, risk assessment. And uh, that way we can actually get uh, organs to patients that are highly sensitized, meaning that they have a very wide profile of, of antibodies. We can actually, with these new tools, find these people the right donor, the right organ. That is internally what is happening in the HLA lab. In transplantation, though, I think the field of xenotransplantation, that concept has been around forever. You know, so it's basically xenotransplantation is transplantation from a non-human, from a, another species. And actually, the best species to get organs from is the pig, because the pig actually you you can have some breeds of pigs that are in between, you know, 120 pounds to 200 pounds. So their physiology is very similar to humans. They have the pretty much the and the size of the organs are quite similar. So you know, if you have a patient that weighs 180 pounds, you can find a pig that weighs 180 pounds. The kidneys, the heart. The livers are going to be basically exactly the same size. So it's, it's perfect for that patient. But only until now, I mean, last year in John Hopkins, there was really the first pig to human experimental transplant. And it was successful because uh, this is a genetically modified pig that, where they actually were able to reduce the expression of the HLA of the pig, which is called SLA, swine leukocyte antigen. In humans, is human leukocyte antigen. In pigs, is swine. It is called SLA. They were able to maintain this kidney in an experimental brain-dead patient for several days. So that was really, really exciting. That is not going to replace, it's not going to get us out of business, but we'll give an organ to these patients that, that I have uh, mentioned before that have a very large profile of antibodies for which it is basically impossible to find them a good human donor in the donor pool. So what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm misunderstanding, is that the xenotransplantation you see as like really a bridge to get us a little further down the road to when we might find the definitive transplant? It could be a temporary bridge, yeah, until mm -hmm. or, or depending on how good the genetic manipulation of the pig, it could be forever. I mean, mm -hmm. it could be a, a, you know, a permanent organ that that person can have. Otherwise, that person would never find a human donor for it. Mm -hmm. I personally was, was really excited about it because I remember writing papers about this back in the 90s and it was like, oh, it's going to happen next year. And it never happened because it's, it's so complex, you know. So now, now it really happened, you know. So uh, it, it was. That's wonderful. So, uh, and then I guess the other part you were talking about what's happening in the laboratory about getting better molecular assays, getting a better antibody profile. You were highlighting that then it's going to be the ability for us to identify a patient that's highly aluminized, it has lots of antibodies. These patients who used to not be able to get a transplant, you're saying is now getting the transplant because of these improvements in the laboratory. 
Yes, correct. Yeah, we, uh, it's basically trying to have a very small hole that we couldn't see before, no, like, like a small window. Yep. So if you don't have any antibodies, the, the window is as big as a door. If you have a lot of antibodies, you literally have no window. So now with this new test, we can actually find small windows to, to that possibility. And that is very exciting. We are actually seeing that now in the practice that we, that we are able to transplant these people that have been waiting for a, for a kidney for 10 years. But now that, that we can actually do it, we can actually find them at donors. And the test is getting better, not necessarily better in resolution, but faster, you know, so mm -hmm. that's the thing, you know, that, that we can actually type a disease donor in high resolution in a, in a timely way and mm -hmm. then do it. Well, that's wonderful. My sense is people that are on the donor waiting list, things that are happening faster are exciting developments to have. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much. We've been rounding with Dr. Jaramillo talking about the ultimate gift of organ transplantation. Again, in the show notes, we're going to have some links to some of the organ transplant organizations here in the United States. And we'll also have a link to that paper from Johns Hopkins that Dr. Jaramillo mentioned for us. Thank you so yeah. much, Dr. Jaramillo. Terrific. Thanks for having me. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please follow or subscribe. And until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.